about a restaurant that's good and you tell people it's good, but until you actually go there and try it, you're not as excited. And, and the second one, is the R, is to reveal God to others. And I'll be talking about that this morning, and then two weeks from now I'll be talking about it again. And, and that's the worship part. So we'll start talking about worship today and finish talking about worship in two weeks Because next week is Faith Promise. We have a video about Faith Promise. I'm just going to keep Greg hopping back there, back and forth. We have a video about our Faith Promise weekend that if you haven't signed up out there, please sign up. It's Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Whenever you're ready, Greg, I'll stop talking. But it's Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Friday night, um, Shashlik, which is pork barbecue. So come for that. Then Saturday is working, and it's supposed to be until the weatherman changes, and the weather changes, 70 degrees, which makes it about 25 degrees warmer than last year and not raining. So it's supposed to be 70. It'll be a good day to get out and work. I'm ready whenever you are. You have that opportunity as this sermon goes on and... In two weeks, you'll figure out how this fits into worship, because it is worship. What we do in our community is worship, and you notice it was cold there last year. Not this year, unless the weatherman's lying to us. Um, and there's plenty of activities. Greg, do you want to tell us some of the activities that you have planned for that day? Mm-hmm. For Saturday morning, 8 o'clock. Dinner Friday night at 6.30. Breakfast at 8 o'clock. We work lunch at 12.17 at 7th Street. And then dessert is... Oh. Dessert, sorry. Dessert is Saturday evening at 6. Is that right? Ice cream for worship. It's in your bulletin, by the way. I could look there. Um, and that's, that's next Sunday, or next Saturday. And then Sunday morning, the missionaries will be sharing with us during the morning service. Yeah, and they'll be sharing through the weekend. So come. Even if you don't think you can do much, you can at least sit there and tell them what spots they missed and, and be, be a part of what goes on. Every little bit helps. Every little bit helps. That's this Saturday. Now, coming up in, man, it's coming fast. In, in November, the, where's, where's Kareen? I'm looking past her someplace. There she is. What's the day the boxes have to be in in November for? The 4th? 11th. Is when the, they have to finally be in. Okay, so we'll let you guys in on our conversation. So, and then the week before is That's Operation Christmas Child. Operation Christmas. Yes, November the 4th is when we count the boxes. They have to be in by the 11th. We have boxes out there. Operation Christmas Child goes around the world um, to kids, and they're Christmas boxes. When we were in Ukraine, where we were at in Ukraine, they had been given Christmas boxes last year. So they go around the world. And we have an opportunity to help with that 
uh, Operation Christmas Child. Crean has more information, and the information's out there on the wall as well, and we have a video of that. Yeah, and if you want to watch more and learn more about Operation Christmas Child, go to YouTube. Put in Operation Christmas Child and hundreds of videos will come up. Testimonies of people that have been saved, churches that have been started, and things like that. That's all part of reveal. The way we live reveals God to the people around us. Which brings us to number A, which is approach others for God with evangelism. We're back on my sermon part again. Evangelism. Approach others for God. Did you, I saw a statistic that said 86% of the people in church today or Christians today were invited by somebody else. Only 4% came because the pastor. And only 2% came because of advertising. 80-some percent came because of you inviting somebody or me inviting somebody. That's why I have Approach Others for God as one of our key purpose statements that we'll talk about later in a, in a few weeks. And the other one is yield to others. The last one, why, is yield to others, which is unity. Unity doesn't mean we all think alike. It, it means we're all going to the same place. And we'll see more about unity actually when I'm talking about worship in two weeks. And you'll hear a little bit about it today, too. We just finished Judges, by the way. I don't know if you realize that. We just finished Judges. And do you like my picture? (laughs) Jan made the mistake of sending me this picture. (laughs) She's... She's... Um, Lady Marianne and, and Neil is Robin Hood. That's the best part. Uh, we, <laughs> I just thought you guys would like to see that picture. <laughs> this was taken yesterday. 
Um, anyway, we just finished Judges. The, probably the most famous judge is Samson. And even though Samson's the most famous, there's a unique thing I want to point out about, about this in, in Judges 16, verse 1. And you can see it right there. One day Samson went to Gaza. There he saw a prostitute. He went to spend the night with her. That's not the unique thing. It's unique that even in his, all his failures, God used him. But um, the people of Gaza were told, Samson is here. So they surrounded the place. They hid and waited for him at the city gate all night long. They didn't make any move against him during the night. They said, let's just wait until the sun comes up. Then we'll kill him. But Samson stayed there only until the middle of the night. Then he got up, he took hold of the doors of the city gate. He also took hold of the two doorposts. He tore them loose together with their metal bar. He picked them up and put them on his shoulders. Then he carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. We talked about this last Sunday night because it's so unique. And it says so much about God. Let me give you some background. It says he removed the city gates. As I was looking at that, Gaza is one of the main Palestinian cities on the coast. Uh, You hear to the area referred to now as Gaza Strip, modern day. So that's where it was, on the coast, which would be southwest Israel, way out there. It was a main city. It was on the coast. It was fortified. The average thickness of walls at that time was anywhere from 10 to 20 feet thick. That was, give or take, a few feet. That's how thick they were. And the gate was at least 10 feet high and 10 feet wide because you had to get camels through. You had to have traffic going both directions. Here's an interesting thought for you. Um, interesting to me. Ekron, which is a, a, a lesser city, their gates were nine feet thick. Yeah, nine feet thick. They were made out of solid wood covered with metal, anchored to the stone. It wasn't just like put against it. It wasn't a little screw put in with a drill. It was anchored. And the average weight is anywhere from... Let me say this right. Um, on a, a five to ten tons, that's the average weight of the gates. Are you getting this? He picked up the gates of Gaza. He tore them out, actually, put them on his shoulders, which can you imagine, just think about it, a little tiny guy with gates that weigh two to five tons, they're 10 feet wide, 10 feet high, and probably nine or... It's like a giant cube, 10 by 10 by 10. Puts them on his back, and away he goes. To the hill overlooking Hebron. Hebron... Okay, Gaza's at the elevation of C, which is zero. The hill overlooking Hebron is at the elevation of 3,200 feet. The distance is 27 miles. Oh, I'm sorry, underestimated, 36 miles. So here's this guy carrying two to five ton on his back, 36 miles. 
amazing, isn't it? That's not me. Uh, it's mine's laying over here. <laughs> okay, it might be me, but I'm not doing it on purpose. Yeah. Yeah. So we're right there. Is it still going? <laughs> okay. That's all right. What I want to point out about that unique fact is it's kept saying that the power of that the, the Spirit of God came upon Samson with power. And here's a guy, his weight was probably 130, 150 pounds carrying two to five ton. The Spirit of God came upon Samson with power. With power. And when you read the rest of the story and he collapsed the building, you know that took power too. You read the part where that God left. The other thing it says about God is, you know, when he, his hair was cut off, it said God left him. He got captured. His eyes um, gouged out. But God came back. Even though he didn't, his words of repentance weren't like we would say. Because he was still seeking revenge for his eyes. But God came back. Do you know what all that says about God? He used Samson to begin the freeing of his people from the Philistines. Samson was set apart for his whole life for the use of God. The Spirit of God came upon him in power. God left him because he left God. But God came back when he asked. When when he cried out to God, and you read all through Judges how God did that. They would do what was right in their own eyes until they got turned over to the enemy and they would cry out to God and he would save them. That says about God that he's a God that loves. It also says, and I don't have the scripture right in front of me, but but in Deuteronomy where God said to Moses, I will turn them over to their wicked ways so that I can show mercy to them. It says a lot about us too. And God in our lives too. No matter what we've been through and what we've done and the regrets we have, he will still show mercy. He will still show mercy. And sometimes we've got to get really down before we turn to him. Part of it's because of our own bullheadedness. Part of it's because he wants us to be really evident of the mercy that he's showing. So Judges 13.5 is the beginning of the story of Samson where he was talking, the, the angel of the Lord's talking to Samson's mom, you will become... Is it safe for me to try it again? Okay. There it is. You will become pregnant. You will have a son. You must not use a razor on his head. He must not cut his hair. That is because the boy will be a Nazarite. A Nazarite is somebody set apart for the, the, the will of God. They take a pledge. They don't cut their hair. 
They don't drink grape juice. They don't drink wine. They don't eat anything with grape juice or grape plants, grape leaves in it for the specific length of time that they have committed. Usually it was anywhere, usually not longer than a couple, three months. It could just be a week or two, but not longer than a few months. But for Samson, it was his whole life. He was a Nazarite. And and his job was to reveal God to the Israel nation, but to the Philistines as well. Thank you for getting the rest of that. Um, and, And it says, he will begin to save Israel from the power of the Philistines. He will be set apart to God from the day of his birth. So his mom actually had to start before she was pregnant not eating anything grape before she was pregnant so that that it followed through. Now, in in revealing God, we sometimes don't see God um, the way he really is. And there's a battle going on in this world that, that is trying to change, and it's not a human battle, it's a spiritual battle, trying to change what is uncommon to what is common. Let me give you a couple examples of very easy things. Kleenex, what do you think of when you hear Kleenex? You think of this, don't you? We got them all over the place. Kleenex. These are actually Kleenexes. They're by the company that that makes Kleenex, but today any tissue like this is considered Kleenex, even though they're not made by Kleenex. And and the company that created these is Kimberly-Clark. It's their brand, Kleenex, but everybody's known as Kleenex. It's gone from uncommon to common. Q-tip, for example. You all know what that is, a stick with cotton on the end, cleaning your ears, doing your makeup, painting, anything else that you want to do. Um, but it's a brand too. But yet when we see a stick with cotton on it, we call it a Q-tip because that has become the common name. Sideburns. Oh, scotch tape. I should back up to that. Everything that's clear, every tape that's clear, Sticky on one side is scotch tape in our world, isn't it? But scotch tape is actually a bunch of products that stick things together. But everything is is called scotch tape. And and then there's sideburns, actually named after a general whose name was Burnside. The hair on the side of his face connected to his mustache, and that was called Burnside's. And got switched to sideburn. And then there's lynch. You all know what a lynching is, right? That's, after, that's actually named after a man. His name is Charles Lynch. And he had a, um, a plantation in Virginia. And he fought in the uh, American Revolutionary War. And how he did things is he had his own court. It's somebody that he considered was bad. He'd take him to court and then hang him. Now we call a lynching hanging somebody without trial. 
And it went from a good name, just like Mud. Your name is Mud. You know who Mud is? The guy that helped John Wilkes Booth? And we, things tend to go from uncommon to common. Kleenexes were for a specific purpose, and now everything's called a Kleenex. And it happens with God, too. If you look at Exodus twenty-two twenty-eight, do not blaspheme God or curse the ruler of your people. Pretty blunt, isn't it? Do not blaspheme God or curse the ruler of your people. Then you look at Exodus twenty-seven. You shall not misuse the name of your Lord of the Lord your. God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. And then you look at Leviticus, chapter 10, 10 and 11. You must distinguish between the holy and the common, between the unclean and the clean, and you must teach the Israelites all the decrees the Lord has given them through Moses. And then the last one is Romans 12, and then we're going to talk about this. Two. Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and improve what what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Satan's trying to make everything that God declares good, bad what he's trying to do. Everything that God declares good, he's trying to make bad. He's trying to take things that God has said is uncommon, special, set aside for me, and make them common. You see it every day. You see it every day. So let's define uncommon. It's really easy. Exceptional, remarkable. That's you and I. God created us and and saw what he created and said, that's good. Uncommon. Exceptional, remarkable. The definition of common is ordinary. Ordinary. And you you look at our lives... And see the things that he has considered special becoming ordinary or uncommon or even considered bad. We can go through a whole list and get us all riled up. Uh, We can say life, we can say marriage, we can say God, and go on and on. And, And the problem is when it goes from uncommon to common, it's no longer special to us. It's no longer special. Let's just take food, for example. Say for your birthday and, and maybe one other day of the year, you have a steak. You go out for dinner and have a steak. It becomes special. But if you have a steak every day, 
it becomes common and somebody says, let's go out for a steak. That's okay, I had one yesterday. And it becomes common. And when we take God's name from being up here revealed and make it a swear word, it becomes common. It doesn't even get a PG rating anymore. It's, God's name is used in G-rated movies. And he's gone from special to ordinary. So one more, um, Exodus twenty two twenty eight, which we already said, do not blaspheme God or curse the ruler of your people. Do you guys know what blaspheme means? Talk about God in a way that does not show respect. To speak of or address with irreverence. That's what blasphemy means. Don't show respect. And if you, you know, get, I won't go down that road about blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Uh, revile is another way. Talk about somebody critically without respect. That's, that's blasphemy. But it's not just using God's name in vain, by the way, because, you know, the Ten Commandments say, thou shalt not use the Lord thy God's name in vain. And we go with the assumption that as a swear word. But if you, the definition of, of uncommon, common, and blaspheme, it becomes, using the Lord our God's name in vain, becomes also the way that we live. I'm a Christian, we say, but our lifestyle doesn't show that. Now, we can get into a big um, discussion about forgiveness and which God is always willing to forgive. And we can get into another discussion about sanctification, which is a step past forgiveness in that our desire to sin is removed and we're more passionate about serving God. And our lifestyle starts showing that. And the truth is our lifestyle shows what we believe. Whether we believe in God or we don't, our lifestyle shows that. And it shows it more than our words show it. So the blaspheme to God is every sin that we commit, knowing that we shouldn't be doing that. It's blasphemous because we say we follow God, but we don't. Our actions don't show that. It's, it's like saying one thing and doing another. My a teacher of mine in grade school had a, a saying up, speak up, I can't hear you because your actions are louder than your words. It's like saying we love somebody, but everything we do shows that we don't. 
It's like saying we're a fan of a sports team, but everything we do shows that we're not a fan of theirs. It's like saying we love God, but everything we do shows that we're not loving of God. That's what blasphemy is. And because we're not doing his commands, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. If we're not doing his commands, we're only giving him lip service. So how do we do his commands? And remember, we're talking about revealing God to others. Mark twelve twenty nine through 31. Jesus answered, here's the most important one. Moses said, Israel, listen to me. The Lord is our God. The Lord is one. That's in Deuteronomy. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul. Love him with all of your mind and with all of your strength. And here's the second one. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. There is no commandment more important than these. And that's how we reveal God. We live in such a way that our life shows God. We love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you know your heart is your feelings. Your soul is who you are. Your mind is what you think. And your strength is what you do. You should feel God. You should be a follower of God. You should think about God. And you should live like you're with God. That, that's Romans 12, um, 2, by the way which says, do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We get to reveal God to each other. It starts here. Jesus said, You'll know, they'll know you are my followers if you love each other. It starts here so that people can see, and then it starts out there too with how we interact with the world. How we interact with everybody. I've been reading a book, um, Unoffendable. It's a tough book, by the way. I will loan it to you. Well, I can't. It's on my Kindle. But I will say, I will buy you one if I need to. It's called Unoffendable, and it talks about living like Jesus did who was never offended by what he saw. The only people that he gave a tongue lashing to were the Pharisees, who said they were his followers, but they really weren't. He wasn't offended by the lady caught in adultery. He wasn't offended by the two sinners on the cross. He wasn't offended by the, the Roman soldiers that beat him. He wasn't even offended by the people that lied about him so that he got crucified. He was never offended. You know what offend is, right? We get mad because of something somebody did to us. And he was never offended. And if we're going to show God to the world, we have to be that kind of person. Never offended. Here's good news for you. You can't do that by yourself because we get offended. We do. There's another book out called The Bait of Satan. And it's based on Luke 17.1, which says, 
I tell you, there are, and this is the King James Version, I tell you there are many opportunities for offense, to be offended. Lots of them. You probably had opportunities as you were driving here. I seem to find lots of opportunities for offense when I'm driving. <laughs> but we're not supposed to be offended. And the reason Jesus was never offended because he knew people. He knew that they were broken. He knew that they were born in sin. He knew that they're doing the best they can with what they got and they still mess up. He knew that. Even when he died, as he was on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He knew that. And if we have that attitude... Uh, of knowing that when somebody does something that hurts us or somebody close to us, we remember that they were born in sin just like I was. They're probably doing the best with what they have or they've given up completely trying. And we can forgive knowing that they're not perfect. And we can forgive. And that's how we, re- that's how we reveal God to others. When we're compassionate like God was compassionate with us. Where in Deuteronomy, God said, I turn them over to their sins, basically, so that I can show mercy to them. And he's quick to forgive. So quick to forgive. And we can reveal to the world that way. The reason that that reveal is second besides and pray, it's an R. The reason that it's second is because it's really important. And we have to start with us. I was in one church. We barely moved there. And the guy said, see that lady over there? I don't like her. But I'm not changing churches because this is my church. And they hadn't talked for like six or seven years. They sat across the aisle. She was one pew in front of him across the aisle. They saw each other every day. I don't like her. Do you know how difficult that is to reveal God when you don't like him? (laughs) When you're offended? And everybody in the church knew that they didn't like each other. Everybody knew. And it's hard for God to be seen when there's these conflicts that aren't taken care of, we have to reveal God to each other. It's our job. We've got to love, just like Jesus loved us. And the good news is, I can't remember all of my offenses, and I can't remember everything that, was, that offended me. But the good news is, God is still willing to forgive And we, as a reflection of God, have that opportunity to forgive. And if we're all living in that forgiveness as a body, it goes smoothly. Okay, it goes roughly, but more smoothly. You know, and, and so the things that that used to cause problems, and I'll talk about it in a couple of weeks, we'll talk about music. 
you know, and we'll talk about what worship really is. And let me give you a heads up. Worship is not the singing that's done on Sunday morning before the sermon. That's only part of it. Worship is also the sermon, and worship is also the shaking hands, and worship is also the way we live. The way we live. We have friends. Please don't get upset at us. Lynn and I have friends. The only thing they wear is duck skier. They've got, they've got fancy duck shirts, duck earrings. I, everything is duck. I, I don't think I've ever seen that. They even have button-down duck shirts. You know? I know some of you are just disgusted by that thought. But, but you know what? They, can, they, they are more than willing to forgive the rest of us for not having as much duck stuff. But it, the way that they dress and look lets you know that they're a Duck fan. The way that we dress and look, okay, maybe not dress, but the way we live should let people know that we're a fan of God and that we're a follower of God. Not just the words that come out of our mouth because they won't pay any attention to the words that come out of your mouth till they see the way you live. And so we have to reveal God to each other. Starting here, and then when we get to the, the A, approach others for God, it spreads out that way because our life reveals to God out there too. But if we can't do it here amongst people that believe the same as us, we sure can't do it out there amongst people that don't know God and in the workplace. Yeah. You're a crazy beaver fan, I know. Yeah. <laughs> and and so the reveal is we've got to live in a way that we reflect God. We've got to take him from common back to uncommon in our lives. We've got to put him back up on the pedestal. Like the song we sang this morning, even if you don't do what I tell you, and even if you don't tell me the way it goes, and even if you don't answer my prayers, and by the way, just to go down a little sidetrack for a minute, if God doesn't answer our prayer, he's probably saying no. And that is an answer. Or he's saying wait, and that's also an answer. But even if you don't do all these things, still I will praise you. That's where we have to be. Still I will praise you. Even if life doesn't go right, I will still praise you. That's revealing God to each other. That's revealing God. That's worship. Worship is not something that makes us feel good. Worship is something we do. So my question for you is, what do you have to do in your life to get from a common God back to an uncommon God. What do you have to do? Put God back up on the pedestal. What do you have to do in your life so that God is honored in your actions, your attitudes, your feelings, your life? What do you have to do? 
And I want to give you the opportunity this morning to make that decision and to do that thing. Usually it's ask God forgiveness for the way we've been treating him and how we've wandered from him and and move him back to the center of our life and start making commitments on how I will make you uncommon, that I will make you special again in my life. And that is... Humbly giving up control and letting him be in control again.